IntelliKey Leadership Stories, the podcast for conscious leaders. We share the lessons learned from global leaders making an impact for their organizations, stakeholders, and investors. For people, community, and environment, we get inspired by their experiences, attitudes, and practices. Here are your hosts for IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Welcome back, friends, to our podcast. And Kirsten, today we want to talk about how we can be honest as leaders with our employees. And honesty has got to be a tough, tough thing. What are you hearing from your clients these days? I, I mean, listen, I'll speak to personal experience with the young leaders that I work with. It's refreshing. They want this conversation. They want it to be real. You know, they, they hold a certain vibe in that they know they cut through it really quick. And if you're messing around with the truth, they're not sticking around. Well, on this topic of honesty, we're just so glad to have as our guest today, Ron Carucci. Mark, Kirsten, nice to be with you. Thanks for having me. Ron is the author of nine best-selling books. His newest book, To Be Honest, and I love the subhead, Ron, Lead with the Power of Truth, Justice, and Purpose. You know, you've given so many talks on this topic, not only in the classroom, but also in TEDx talks. What are you hearing from teams, organizations of all kinds about this issue of honesty right now? I think it's showing up in a, n- a number of different ways. Certainly trustworthiness, I think, is, you know, which is the output of honesty, is in a free fall. I think, you know, as The Atlantic said a couple of weeks ago, in one of its articles, we're in a trust recession. I don't know that the pandemic caused that recession, but I think the pandemic may have revealed it. People are starved for leaders, for organizations, for segments of our society that they can trust again. You know, we've not proven ourselves worthy of earning the trust in governments and nonprofits and education and certainly in the business world. We've had way too many stories of broken trust, way too many stories of good intentions gone awry. And I think it's disheartening. I think I think you're absolutely right, Kirsten. I think our Gen Zers and our millennials and our up and coming leaders of the future are tired of the world that's come before them and they want something very different. They deserve that. And I think we can we can do better. Mm-hmm. Now, none of us want to hear any more Toronto stories or watch any more Toronto's trials on TV. None of us want to hear any more or be part of any more Wells Fargo or Volkswagen stories. Mm-hmm. None of us want to live in a world where that's okay or that's the new normal. And I so I do think there is a a, a heartening cry for a higher standard. For leaders in the workplace, it's a tougher bar. It's gone way up. I think as our experience of leadership and integrity has gone into a free fall, what those generations want has gone way up, right? So it's no longer enough to say, I'm not, I'm not a liar, so I'm honest. The bar is way higher than that. And thus the subtitle mark, Truth, Justice, and Purpose. We found out in the, in the neuroscience research for the book and also in the social sciences that telling the truth, behaving fairly, and serving a greater good are all closely associated with the same parts of our brain, the same parts of our interpretation of honesty. So today you have to say the right thing, do the right thing and say and do the right thing for the right reason yes. to be labeled as honest. And I couldn't help but wonder when I saw, and we've been talking about, you know, honesty as starting with the truth. You know, there's two sides of that conversation. Is the leader telling the truth, but also is the leader open to hearing the truth. Uh, how, the how truth. Is, how is <laughs> Hashtag truth, right? <laughs> and, and both are important. And, and actually, I think the latter one is more important, Mark, because as a leader, telling me the truth does me no good if you're not willing to hear, hear the truth from me. My standard for leaders is very simple. I tell them, look, if you don't have somebody coming into your office at least twice a week telling you something that makes you uncomfortable to hear, be very confident your leadership sucks. 
because they're telling, some, they're telling somebody. And if your conclusion is that there isn't anything uncomfortable to say, now you're stupid. <laughs> because if you think things are just fine, now you're, you tell people you're not, you're not safe to tell them things to do. And they've also concluded that you're out of touch with reality. This is, I mean, this is a nice coffee shop conversation, but I think listeners would be interested to know that this is based on years long research hundreds, even thousands of leaders and executives, that this is not just your sense of the world, but it's based on your research. So we did a 15-year longitudinal study of more than 3,200 leaders that we interviewed. I interviewed dozens of thought leaders and scholars, world-class leaders. To be honest, it's a book of heroes. I wanted to interview the people and meet the people we'd all want to be proud to emulate, that we'd all want to be our bosses. I don't want to tell the, the villain stories anymore. We've done those to death. I wanted to tell the stories of heroes. I wanted to give people hope that there are organizations and there are leaders out there living the things they want, modeling and behaving in the ways we long to experience. And so that's, I was a privilege, but the, the rigor behind the data is quite extensive. And we did um, use a lot of um, artificial intelligence and IBM Watson to build our statistical models to understand what the predictors are that tell us under what conditions will somebody tell the truth, behave fairly, and serve a greater good? And under what conditions will they lie, cheat, and serve their own interests first? And we indeed were able to find four conditions. We're hiding in plain sight in our organizations that tell us how the story is going to go. Because I thought 5,000 people didn't wake up at Wells Fargo all on the same day and, and all had the random thought of, hey, here's an idea. So these, th these things have long tails. They happen long before they come to light. So how do otherwise good-hearted, well-intended people who say they'd never cross that line suddenly make choices that they believe they never would? I wanted to know what those conditions were. I wanted to know how are we turning otherwise good-hearted, honest people into liars and cheats? They didn't show up that way. And I thought if we could predict, if we could isolate those conditions, could we then proliferate the conditions that produce honest behavior? And could we prevent the conditions that produce dishonest behavior? And that's why I wrote the book. Mm -hmm. From your perspective, because you're right, there are many good people. What are those conditions that you seek, right? Because I have my ideas, but I would love to hear what your data, I love data and facts. You know, so, well, I'll tell you what the four conditions were. Um, the first one was being who you say you are, having a clear identity, right? So our companies all make promises in their missions, their visions, their values, their brand promises, their purpose statements. Turns out that if those words are not lived experiences, meaning that there's a say-do gap, um, you are three times more likely to have people be dishonest. Because what you've now said to the organization is, we've institutionalized duplicity. We've now said, around here we say one thing, what we do another. Versus if those words are lived experiences and the actions and words match, now you're three times more likely to have people tell you the truth and behave fairly. The second was transparency and governance. So if I walk into a room uh, and there's a bunch of people in there, commonly referred to as a meeting, and what's happening in that room is, I believe, a transparent exchange of ideas, uh, a well-honed, balanced look at the data being presented. And I believe that my voice is welcome, that if I, if, if I want to offer a dissenting view or an alternative interpretation of the data, I'm free to do so. You're three and a half times more likely to have people be, be honest and tell the truth. But if I walk into that room and it's nothing but orchestrated theater, meaning the decision was already made and the goal was to make it look like I'm involved. Um, the data being presented, the, the, the argument being made, the solution being proffered has a well-strung bias behind it to convince the group to adopt and no alternatives are being offered. And the last thing I think you wanna hear is an alternative point of view of mine. 
Now you're three and a half times more likely to have me be dishonest because for me to get the truth, I have to go somewhere else underground to get it. The third was accountability. So if the systems of how you measure and talk about contribution are seen as fair and dignified, meaning when I walk into the organization, I have as much chance of being successful as anybody else. And when you talk to me about my contribution, you understand that that contribution is a reflection of me. In the days where our, most of our performance appraisals were created for systems of repetitive work, how many t-shirts did you print? How many claims did you process? How many uh, files did you close? Today, my remit is as unique as I am. My remit is my idea, my analysis, my creativity, my wild idea, my um, thoughtful reflections. So when you talk about my contribution, you are talking about me. If the accountability processes take that into account, I mean, how, you never hear somebody walk into work and say, I'm so excited, today's my performance appraisal. Right? <laughs> no. The process that should be the most honoring and dignifying right? The one that holds in its hands the hearts and minds of people's most important reflection of them, their work, has become the most demeaning and demoralizing. Why is that? Because it it's antiquated. So if the systems are seen as fair and dignified, you're four times more likely to have people be honest. But if they're seen as unjust, uh, imbalanced, and, and highly partial, now I have to embellish my accomplishments and hide my mistakes. So now you're four times more likely to have people be dishonest. And the final one was, which I, I bet, Kristen, you're gonna cringe, uh, which surprised us, was cross-functional rivalries. Oh God, yes. <laughs> if, if at this, Wait, can you say that again for our audience? Because I think our entire audience will go, yes. <laughs> if, and, and because you, I mean, any organization that ends up in, this, in the place yours did ha had fractured seams. Without but at, the, at the classic seams where you have sales and marketing, supply chain and operations, R&D and marketing, or HR and everybody, if those border wars are not resolvable, I mean, every system has healthy tensions in it, but if those tensions have nowhere to go and conflict remains unresolved and people have nowhere to reconcile those seams where, where they actually all of the competitive value your company creates is made, um, you now have fragmented the truth when you fragment the organization. Now you are six times more likely to have people be dishonest and behave unfairly because now it's about dueling truths, right? So it's no longer about a single source of truth. It's about mine versus yours, which means my goal is to be right. But if there's coherence in that organization, if, there, if those seams are stitched well, if there's congruence uh, about the metrics we share, about what our common remit is, about how we're meant to collaborate, a way for us to resolve decision rights conflicts or other conflicts, now you're six times likely to have people behave honestly because now we're part of the same story. The hardest thing about those statistical models, you guys, is that they're cumulative. So if you're good at all four of those things, by a factor of 16, you are more likely to have people be honest in your organization. But if you suck at all four of those things, you are 16 times more likely to wind up in the seat of your CEO. Mm -hmm. See, what's so interesting about the, you know, conditions of one thing, and you can say, yeah, I, I think we're pretty good, or I think we could improve. But when you put that rigor of the numbers and the statistical analysis behind it, you see the cascading effect positively or negatively, don't you? Absolutely, Mark. Yeah. But there is good news. It's not, it wasn't an all or nothing extreme. We play with the statistical models to see what, what's possible. And it turns out you can work on these things in an evolutionary way. Well, we found out, for example, if you improve cross-functional collaboration by even 30%, you get a 15% hit in honest behavior. 
right? So we don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater here because what organization doesn't have some of those symptoms? What organization takes the values off the wall and says, wow, we live by these? So we all have room to grow. The thing I wanted organizations to understand is that these conditions are hiding in plain sight. And you may have referred to them as just a routine part of being part of a big company. Or these are just nuisances we have to put up with. It's just part of life. Nobody likes going to meetings. Um, and, and my message is, nope, more than that, these are dangerous conditions. And th these are the petri dishes in which the ethical fungus is growing. Well, let's and, continue on that thought then from you know, truth and honesty and fairness and the organization and even between teams to, to your second bullet in your subheading of the book, and that's justice. You know, how do we move from fairness maybe internally in our relationships to a societal or a social impact of true justice? It's a, it's a, it's a fair question, Mark, and it's, a, it's one that more CEOs and organizations are being scrutinized for is how they participate in the social realities of the communities in which they operate. Well, the reality is, I think the pandemic, again, also didn't cause but revealed a, a reckoning of all kinds of inequities in the workplace, certainly racial and identity inequities, but even, even other privileges like in jobs, right? If you walk into a technology company and your engineers are privileged, who are they disadvantaging? If you walk into a high growth company and your salespeople are privileged, who are they disadvantaging? It's not to say that all workers are created equal. It's not. And it shouldn't all be paid and rewarded the same. But if all people are not treated equally. If I don't believe I have as much of a chance of success as that privileged role, and I'm disadvantaged by the privileges they get, now you've unleveled the playing field, which means I'll get my pound of flesh another way. When people feel wronged, they feel entitled to take. And unfairness is one of the greatest predictors of unethical behavior. I love, I, I mean, I had an aha moment for myself. Having been in various C-levels that the sales organization we just throw money at them to incent them to sell, sell. And you're right. They're the ones who go to president's club when nobody else. I just, I don't know. That was a huge aha moment for me, right? Because what's the incentive to excel for the other departments? Because the, the salespeople are always, they, they make great money. And in and of itself, on, on service value, what you said, Kristen, is not, not a bad thing. Right. Absolutely. It's when hall passes are given for bad behavior. Right. It's when they are excused from things others are not. Um, that's when it becomes a, a, a problem. I, I, so beautiful. And, and they get resented for it. And, and, and worse than that, they get resented for it and they don't care. <laughs> well, and then the third aspect was purpose. And, you know, a lot has been said about purpose-driven, mission-driven. You know, even we, we talk about IntelliKey leaders as trying to elevate to a full human potential and almost soul's purpose. Your list of clients and people you've consulted with is startups all the way to Fortune 10 companies, all the companies we would recognize if we spent five minutes listing them. You know, it's the who's who of corporate world. Where are they thinking now, leaders, and trying to elevate even beyond a, I guess, a marketing mission? You know, of course they want to lead and serve their customers, but what's the bigger purpose? Well, I, I think many of them are doing great work. I think people recognize now purpose washing is going to backfire, right? <laughs> yes. After George Floyd, we blackwashed. It didn't work. When environmental you know, scandals happen, we greenwash. Consumers see right through it. So when we, cut, we send the marketers loose to unleash purpose, and it becomes a, nothing more than a marketing, to your point, marketing campaign, it backfires. One of the things I did in my research was I talked to a group called Contexas. They're a group in London who, who's in their B Corps, and their purpose is to measure purpose. And what they found in their research, this very rigorous index that they 
how people measure is you'd be better off if, if your only purpose is to make money and people know that they can tolerate that. You may not like it, but they can at least you're honest. But if you have a if you have a purpose that you don't activate, it's actually worse. Um, it's and, and so many companies think they don't understand the purpose. No, they understand it just fine. They just don't think you live it. Uh, and and that's when people get very resentful because we all the two questions organizations have to take off the table um, if they want to survive this mass resignation that we're seeing right now is do I matter and do I belong? And the first one has to do with their sense of purpose. Can I locate my story in your story? Can I locate the fingerprint I wanna leave in the world? And can I, can I do that through the job you give me? When Satya Nadella took over at Microsoft, they're a big case study in my book and they're wonderful. What they're doing is wonderful. He sat his executive team down on a bunch of couches, not in a very, in a very informal place, knowing that he inherited a very competitive cutthroat culture. And he said to them, flip the script here. Today, Microsoft works for you. How is Microsoft gonna be a platform for you to make your unique impact in the world? Because he knew that if he, had, if he was gonna get 140,000 employees on board to be a, a growth-minded company, um, not, not just in size growth, but in growth mind, in, in a learning, learning mindset, because he, what he said was we have to become a culture of, from know-it-alls to, to learn-it-alls. He knew that he was gonna to have to activate a sense of purpose in every one of them. And that started with his team. Um, and he has been on an incredible mission since to activate that part of people's souls. Um, if you don't mean it, you shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you leave the question on the table for people to wonder, do I matter and do I belong? I, I call that a culture of solidarity, belonging plus purpose. Um, if people have to spend an ounce of their capacity fulfilling those two needs or, or wondering with those questions, that's, that's every ounce of the capacity that goes there is not going to the work. So they need to walk in your door with no doubt that they belong and that they matter. And then let the rest of their capacity be devoted toward contributing. The great news is this, um, by any metric we would care about, what we found in the research was that honest companies, companies that value truth, justice, and purpose, um, profit, profit margins, market share, brand loyalty, customer loyalty, employee retention, uh, uh, employability, places to work, uh, product innovation, customer loyalty. By any metric you care about, those companies so far outperform their, their less than honest peers. Um, it's not even subtle. And so that's the reason to do it. You know, scandal, I mean, to your earlier story, Kirsten, scandal avoidance is not a reason to try and work on this. It's, right. you, you're not going to sustain that, right? right? But when you see what's possible, when you see what you can unleash in people, as Hubert Jolie calls it, human magic, right? To, for people to become their best selves and create the best for your company, that's the reason to do it. Uh, I, I would love for boards of directors to be asking their CEOs, so why is it you haven't really tried to become more rigorous about our integrity sense here, some of the values? Because we now, we have evidence that this rate of performance is possible. So do you think we're that good that we don't need it? I'd love those questions to get put to CEOs to have to yeah. answer. And I, th- I was wondering, Ron, a lot of people see this as certainly transformational change, but does it require a leadership change, meaning a change in leadership, or can we really hope that the leaders can change? Well, I, I, I'm maybe more optimistic than others. Mark, I've seen leaders personally change. I've seen leaders transform. So I know they can. I think it's a matter of a consciousness and an awakening. I think the, the reality is, and I've, I've 
I'd be curious from your compliance experience, Kristen, if you've seen this, I actually think leaders are willing, I think they want to do well. I think most of them want to do good. They just believe that because there are leadership roles and their intentions are good, that that's actually what's happening. Mm -hmm. And they don't realize that it requires way more than your good intentions to actually manifest a culture where honesty is truly embodied and valued, not just talked about. Um, they think if they declare it, it's true. And it's, a, just, it's, it's just a faulty, naive sense on leaders' parts that because I'm in power, um, my good intentions somehow transmit into the choices of others. And that's just foolish. I think they just don't realize what it takes to change a system. There are, there, are, there are certainly bad apples and bad actors, as Kristen described earlier. I think there are fewer of those that get all the media attention. But I think there are fewer of those than not. Uh, I just think there are folks in the middle who think that they get more credit for their good intentions than they actually do. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you touched upon something that I think is really important. And Mark and I have talked about this on our podcast a lot with many of the leaders. And it's the bridge between the board, who's ultimately the shareholder in most cases. So if you can bridge is if you're training the board to have the consciousness model, if you will, where they're living by integrity and not just the numbers that are feeding back into their investment firms, does that then begin to drive the behavior? And I, I would term it more as apathy, right? And I agree with you. People want to do well. I don't believe everybody is out to do right. harm. And, and to your point, conditions oftentimes set up a runaway train yep. that you just can't get off of, right? Like once you're well, in, you're in it. And how often do people not even realize the train's running right. away until, right. it, until you see the cliff? Until it's gone. So, and I know having sat on many boards myself, it is a really uncomfortable conversation when the, you know, there's the shareholder value as well, I mean, they're just getting those two aligns, the C-level executives and the shareholders and the board aligned. I think there has to be a greater emphasis on that. I'd be curious as to your thought. Well, I mean, since Sarbanes-Oxley, and, and even Sox too, we have bantered the conversation around board development and board integrity and measure, measuring board performance. I don't think many companies really do it, take it seriously well. I think boards are passive. I think the rivalries between CEOs and boards are still tense. You know, when we, when, we, when we sort of gave up on the executive chairman role and the separation of chairman and CEO roles and said, well, that's fine, they can be together. I think we, we, we allowed the regression of boards and the roles they can play. I think companies, CEOs like Uber Jolie and others, um, Alan Mulally at Ford, who are truly invested in creating multi-stakeholder focused companies are much more successful because they, they can then recruit and build boards that share those values. But short of that, the problem is that you have, I mean, the amount of dysfunction, politics, and lack of, of beyond fiduciary responsibility, performance of boards is painful. I think, you know, well, the question I ask my CEOs very simply is, if your shareholders watched a videotape of your board meetings, would they sell or buy your stock? And I think we know the answer to most of the. Most of the yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I'm having flashbacks. Well, right? Kirsten, Kirsten, Kirsten and I are already thinking of a business where we tape presentations to the board and <laughs> put those out there. <laughs> it's it's pitiful. Most people would dump their stock if they actually watched yeah. a board meeting and, and how, or even the subcommittee meetings, the, the nominating committee or the fiduciary committee, yeah. where you would whatever. see it in action. Yes. You, you, what you you would see is incompetence, dysfunction. Of dancing on eggshells around things, not saying, not being direct, euphemisms, right? You'd see all that stuff that the last place it should show up 
is the place where you have the, the greatest stewards of the corporate corporation's future and the future at stake, that's the place where you want the most honesty and truth being exchanged by the most competent people, you know, prepared to exchange it. Well, I love the fact that you've turned this from a villain story into, you know, the hero stories, the people doing it well, the attributes, the traits of people who could do it well. What could you leave with our listeners as a sort of an action step that taking all of this together, if there was something they could do in the next week to begin that transformation, to begin making the progress to more honesty, yep. what do you feel it could be? Well, you, can, you too can be that hero. This is for the mere mortals among all of us. It's not just for the, the gods of industry. Um, here's a simple litmus test. In your next meeting with your team, take in your company's promise, whether pick the mission statement, the value statement, the proper statement, bring it in and ask your team the hard question. How well do we embody this promise? How well do I embody this promise? If somebody followed us around with a video camera all day long and a day in the life of our team, could they use that video as a training program for this promise? Ask yourself the hard question of who is your they? Who's the person in another department that you're required to collaborate with that when you see them in the caller ID, you roll your eyes and go, oh, what do they want? <laughs> Here they come. I think come. everyone can relate to that one. <laughs> because you're somebody's they too. Mm-hmm. And ask yourself, why have you allowed the erosion of that relationship? What, what bias have you used to justify vilifying them? Get up off your desk, walk across the organization, walk somewhere, get, or get on a Zoom call with that person and say, hey, we know that our relationship is strained. Our, our teams are, are struggling to collaborate well together. It starts with us. How can we do better? What can I do to be a better colleague to you? Stitch, just pick a seam and stitch it. Very Th- those, those are the very simple things as examples of two of the findings we can all begin tomorrow. And over time, they, they parlay into greater and greater progress until suddenly you're the most trustworthy leader everybody wants to work for. So strong, so powerful, and yet so simple in many ways. Ask and the hard. question. It is hard. Ask, ask the question, though. Sometimes that is the hardest first step. Well, Ron, we can't thank you enough for being on the program. How can we connect and follow you and your work? Yeah, thank you. So if you'd like to know more about the book, we have a TV show. When I got to meet all the heroes that I did for the research in the book, I wanted people to be able to meet them too. So we videoed all those conversations and turned it into a TV show called Moments of Truth. So if you have Roku, or you can come to the website, tobehonest.net, and go to Moments of Truth, and you can see all 15 episodes and meet some of the most incredible people that I got to meet in the process of the book. We also have an assessment there called How Honest Is My Team? So if you want to know whether you're getting a skinny from your team or not, you can download that assessment and, and, and find out. If you want to know more about our work as a firm, you can come to Navalent, N-A-V-A-L-E-N-T.com. We've got a treasure trove of, of free downloadable eBooks, white papers, blog posts, and a bunch of videos. So, so if you're looking to cultivate and develop your own skills and leadership, come there and visit and hang out with us. And please follow me on LinkedIn or, or Twitter, wherever you get your social media content from and stay in touch. Wonderful. Well, thanks again, Ron. We can't thank you enough for being on the program and and really imparting not only these uh, experiences, but the data behind them, the rigor that you went to to find these traits. And listeners, all of those links and all of those uh, programs that Ron just mentioned will be in our show notes. So be sure to reference those. Well, Kirsten, another good week of uh, discussion about leadership and where we can pursue our own potential and our own soul's purpose. You know, Mark, you and I have been talking about this for a while and going from the villain to the hero is so exciting, right? I've been on this train a long time and now getting to the point where corporations are really having the shift 
it just, it really can make you cry when you think about it because so many lives have suffered at the hands of this, you know, these types of behaviors. So to know that it's changing, it it does make me want to cry. Well, that's, and it's true. You know what? I'm actually working on an article now on moral injury. I mean, it's what the psychologists refer to as when I, when I'm subjected to being in that environment and the, to your point, Kristen, the lies that are affected, it's not just, we're often misdiagnosing burnout. It's actually worse. It's moral injury. When I've been subjected to unfair, bad behavior, it, it, my conscience is wounded yeah. and, it, and my brain imprints that as trauma. So uh, um, we have, we have, you, and I have to say, I don't mean to interrupt you, but the validation there is so important, right? Because it's taken me three years leaving that company, well, more two to even be willing to stand back up and go, go back in because I love what I do. It just was so traumatizing. It's traumatizing. You, you know, the shame, the guilt, how many people, people took Wells Fargo off the resume? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, it's, it's, it is morally injuring and we have to do better. The great news is we can do better. And my hope is that, to be honest, we'll help people do it. Well, that's so, the idea. Thank you both for having me on the show. Great well, conversation. Thank you. Thank you and thanks for the encouragement and, and Kirsten, the inspiration for all of us to, to be honest with each yeah. other, with our teams, with ourselves, to be truthful. And yeah. I think this has helped leaders all the way around. So listeners, continue to come back to our program. This is the kind of dialogue we want to have about not only what is management principles, but true leadership principles in business and in life. So for now, for Kirsten Gouldy, I'm Mark Stenson, and you've been listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories with Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn and visit our website, pureintellikey.com. I'm Jared Kajak. Join us again for our next episode of IntelliKey Leadership Stories. This podcast is produced by BSB Media. We also host two other podcasts you might enjoy, Unlocking Your World of Creativity and Five Minutes of Peace. Subscribe today and leave a review on your favorite podcast player.